Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Back in 2017, police found a lifeless body in a cornfield. His name was Ronald French. He was an auto mechanic and a grandfather of eight. The medical examiner said that he was murdered. For two years, the case was in progress. They couldn't find their killer. Then one day, a detective on the case learned about digital vehicle forensics. It's a new field that extracts data from your car's onboard computers. So detectives turned to Ronald French's car, which was stolen at the time of his death. They combed through the car's data and found that someone played music at the time of the murder. There they were, just time-stamped voice recordings. Someone used the car's hands-free system to play the music. And here's the problem. The voice didn't belong to Ronald French. It belonged to his best friend, who police arrested and charged with his murder. Just think, if they hadn't looked to the car, the killer may have slipped away. Our cars are like portable computers. They're always online. They're listening to our voices. They're tracking our movements. They're trying to anticipate our needs. It's helpful, but it can also be unsettling. Just remember, whenever you connect your devices, you do sacrifice your data for the sake of convenience. And all of this data is insanely profitable. So what do car companies do with all of your data? How is it even legal? Well, we're going to give you all the details in today's episode. We're going to speak with a privacy lawyer who specializes in transportation data. You're going to learn about all the secrets that your car knows about you. We're going to talk about what's going on, what you can do about it. I'm Kim Commando, and this is Tech You Should Know. Stay right where you are. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. It's probably something that you don't think about. How much of your privacy do you sign away when you purchase a car? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of that. And I'm not alone. I'm happy to welcome Chelsea Colbert to this podcast. She works with the Future of Privacy Forum. She's a lawyer who leads their mobility and location data portfolio. Now, Chelsea, you picked two fascinating topics to focus on. Why did you choose to focus on mobility and private data? What's the big deal about it? Good question. So I went to law school very interested in technology, law, and policy. I think I was maybe a product of the early internet Napster days when I was growing up. 
Napster. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard that for a while. That name certainly brings back memories. But you may not know about it if you were born in the year 2000. So let me give you a refresher. Napster was a file sharing program that came into the scene in 1999. You could use it to find literally any song you ever wanted to listen to. So instead of driving down to the store to grab a CD, you could stream the music at just the snap of a finger. Basically, Napster let people access music files stored on other folks' hard drives. Now, you may not think that people would want to share their hard drive files with strangers, but music is a great way to bring people together. Napster truly was the first of its kind. It, it changed the music industry forever. It really was fascinating to see in real time, just over a few months, how the music scene changed. The best part, two university students created this program in their dorm room. That's right, no fancy backstory here. Just two guys who love music they wanted to share with others. Well, as you can imagine, they just violated everybody's copyrights at the same time, and the recording industry wasn't very happy about it. Just months after Napster's rise, record companies took it to court. They had to. That sparked a long legal battle to stop Napster. Check out this clip from the New York Times. Napster hijacked our music without asking. A chorus of studies show that Napster users buy more records as a result of using Napster. Hank Barry, a lawyer, came on to act as CEO as the fight intensified. We were trying to negotiate with the labels. We were trying to fight the court case. And we were trying to keep the system working all at the same time. We had a limited amount of time to make that happen. And we just didn't get that done within the period of time that we, that we had. The free music service run by Napster was ordered to stop the music. So Chelsea, I heard that you had a front row seat to this court case. Tell me more about it. So just having that experience of growing up on a, a small island on the east coast of Canada and having the internet really open up the whole world to me and having Napster and then the the experience of getting copyright notices from certain people's lawyers about using Napster. And, you know, I was young and I really had no idea what all of that meant. So it wasn't just a front row seat. You were involved. I can't imagine how scary it would have been to get all these copyright notices. I think that kind of started triggering something. So then later, when I went to law school, I was really always interested in doing technology bond policy. And I focused more on internet law and copyright. So you mean you got hit with a copyright notice and I can see why the other side would look very appealing. But then I had a really influential professor, Ian Kerr, who really sparked my interest and my passion for AI and robotics. Oh, really? Wow. So that's something that I've continued. And when it comes to mobility, transportation, cars, location data, you know, autonomous vehicles are really essentially big robots that are someday going to be on our public spaces and our public roads. They already are in a lot of cities all over the world. They sure are. We even have smart cities wholly dedicated to automated cars. It seems like every day, cars and cars get more technologically advanced. The self-driving tech, it's not here yet. Boy, it does seem like it's really close. Right, Chelsea? The reason why I'm so interested in mobility, mobility is really a human right, a right to be able to safely, efficiently, and affordably travel around different spaces in our cities, our towns, our suburbs, wherever we live, and how much transportation policy really factors into the everyday lives of people. I find that so fascinating. I agree. I found it so fascinating. In fact, 
that I wanted to make a whole episode about it. So you see, cars are a sort of robot. Is that right? I mean, how do people react when you make that comparison? I imagine it might confuse some people. I can kind of see there would be some confusion there, but cars now, it's, you know, you can have a car that's very low connectivity, more on the spectrum of high connectivity. There are some cars with little to no automation. There are cars that are like level two, level three automation. So there's a whole spectrum now. So I could see how that's confusing, but I do see really where, where industry wants to go, where, where people are dreaming of having truly automated vehicles, that really these are just big giant robots that are going to be in our public spaces. I can't stop thinking about Transformers when she said that. You know, those giant toy cars that transformed into humanoid monsters. Ian loved them when he was a kid. So now if you're wondering what Chelsea means by the spectrum, let me break it down. Basically, there are six levels that classify a car's self-driving capabilities. For example, zero means your car has no automation. Imagine a gorgeous classic car like a 1967 Chevy Corvette. Then level one means that your car can kind of almost sort of drive itself, but it's going to need a lot of driver assistance. For example, you can't take your cars off the road when you're driving this car. The spectrum goes all the way to level five, full automation. And here's more from TechQuickie. Of course, though, the holy grail of truly hands-off driving is level five, a car that is always in complete control of itself with zero intervention from the driver ever necessary or even possible. Many level five concept cars don't even have steering wheels. A level five car should be able to handle any condition that a human would, and theoretically, with more safety and precision. Although companies like NVIDIA, Audi, and VW are currently working on level five cars and the AI technology needed to power them, it isn't clear when they'll become a reality. Now, if you were drawn to both robotics and transportation, can you go into more detail about how these two topics really intersect, Chelsea? Robots really combine our digital world with our physical world. And I find that so interesting that our built environments will someday soon are already trending in that direction to be built for, for robots, whether it's vehicles or delivery robots or drone delivery. I wonder how many people are just like, whoa, I had never thought about that. It's a really interesting perspective, isn't it? And it's good to keep in mind. Automation is becoming the new norm. It's shaping everything around us. I think that it's really important to have an eye on those trends because I really believe that our public spaces, our built environments should be human first. Absolutely. If you don't keep an eye on the trends, you won't see the world changing beneath your feet. Ooh, that's pretty deep. There's always something new. Every day, every week, there's some new development in this space and it's really fun and challenging to track it all. And that's why I'm so happy that you're here with us today. You know, just what's going on in the world of privacy mobility, that's what we're exploring. We don't often hear about all the ways that our phones are tracking us, but every time we drive, our car collects data on us. So where does all that data go exactly? So it depends on the type of car, how new it is, whether you have connected your phone to the car and agreed to share the car data with third parties. But some of the places where the data could end up is the automaker, the dealership, repair shops, if you choose to share it with them, insurance companies. I'm sure that's going to impact insurance rates. Your information also goes to mapping companies, right? 
mapping companies, third-party apps you've connected to your car, which really up to the consumer's choice. Could also be with law enforcement if there's a valid request and marketing or advertising companies. So bottom line, your data has a ton of different destinations. So while none of us have been able to travel in 2020, really, your private data is jetting off to all kinds of different places. Now, speaking of travel, don't leave me now. We're going to be talking about criminal cases where cars were crucial. You'll learn why this is legal and what you can do to stop your car from tracking you. We're also going to go over whether or not you're at risk. And here's a hint. It depends what type of car you drive. So stay tuned and don't move. We have some really shocking stuff coming your way. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, welcome back to Tech You Should Know. I'm Kim Commando. And today we're hanging out with Chelsea Colburn. So Chelsea, we were just talking about all the ways that cars collect our data. And of course, that depends on the type of car that you're driving, right? But I think kind of when we think about privacy and data flows in the car space, it's important to note two things. So the first thing is that connected cars and automated cars are really different from the cars from years ago. Absolutely. Cars have changed so much since I was a kid. Oh, my gosh. My first car was a Pontiac Sunbird. Oh, hated that car. Hated it. And things are changing really quickly. Many people today still drive cars that you have to use a cord to connect your phone to your car to play music. Other people have cars with more basic connectivity, like when you have your cell phone and you connect it to your car through Bluetooth. And then newer cars and more futuristic cars will have many more connectivity options. Those options are so convenient, but whenever you connect a device to your car, it's another way for companies to sneak in and mine your data. Now, your risk depends on the type of car that you use, or as you would say, where the car lands on the spectrum, right? So that spectrum is really important to keep in mind. And cars collecting data isn't really something new. This has been something that has been going on for a few decades. Chelsea, why don't you give us an example? Basic examples of that are the event data recorder. And this has been a standard in cars since the 1990s, and it's in the vast majority of vehicles. Event data recorders are a big deal. They're also known as black box controllers. You've probably heard of them, but here's a refresher. An EDR is an electronic control system installed into your car's airbag computer system. Its purpose is to know when you're in a crash so it can throw up an airbag to protect you, right? Well, to do that, the EDR has to gather tons of information from the sensors around your car. For example, it looks at the vehicle speed, the brake status, and so on. It pieces all this data together to know exactly when you've crashed. The EDRs know how fast you were driving at the time of the crash, whether or not you braked, and how you were steering the wheel. It even knows if you were buckled in or if someone else was in the car with you. They're in the vast majority of cars. In fact, I'm willing to bet you've got a black box in your car. So drive safely because if you do get into a crash, police officers can dig through your data and they may find things that you'd rather have them not know. There's a lot of detail and sometimes they can determine a driver's reaction time. Some boxes even show if a turn signal was on and officers say the information holds up in court. 
We've actually had instances where we use the CDR data to actually prove someone innocent, even after witness statements um, stated that they were the ones at fault. In one case, data showed a witness was wrong, and a group of teenagers indeed had a green light when a car hit them. Boxes can even show the speed of the other car in a collision. Sometimes specifics like that can provide closure. Your loved one was not at fault, and your loved one uh, was not in the wrong. Uh, it, it helps heal up that, that wound that um, may have been started by rumors uh, associated on, on social media. That clip was from a local news station in West Virginia. It's WSLS 10. Now, as a side note, officers need a warrant to look through the black box, but they don't need a warrant to seize it. <laughs> kind of crazy, huh? These black boxes have been around since the 70s, but as Chelsea said, they become ubiquitous in the 1990s. As car manufacturers use more sophisticated tech than ever before, these boxes are collecting even more types of data. For example, they're now collecting your geolocation information. So, Chelsea, we talked about EDRs. Can you tell us about other ways that our car collects our data? Another really basic collection technology in cars is the onboard diagnostic port. And this has been standard since uh, 1996, and all cars are legally required to have this. Let's dig a little deeper into the purpose. It's for similar purposes. It's so that people can gain access to vehicle data, and it enables information like measuring emissions, helping mechanics or dealerships diagnose performance issues, or repair your vehicle. Now, how do people gain access to this data? People can also choose to plug in a third-party device into this onboard diagnostic port in the vehicle, and they can choose to share that information with third parties like insurance, mechanics. So that's the first thing. And what is the second big takeaway? The second major thing is that when we think about the car data vehicle space, it's really an ecosystem. The car doesn't stand alone by itself. So you have manufacturers, third parties like your insurance company, car technology companies, as well as smart infrastructure that is going to be increasingly present in our built environment. And that includes things like smart lights. Smart lights are so interesting to think about. You buy a pack of LED lights, you download an app to your phone, you set up the lights throughout your car, and bam, you can shoot multicolored lights all around your car. Now, just to imagine zooming through the city at night, you can drive under cool blue lights or bold red shadows, set the lights to golden yellow, and it'll look like you're driving in the daylight. Now, of course, if you want to change the colors, you have to pull over. But smart lights are a really good example of customizing our cars. Now, there's so much tech out there to spruce up your car. Now, not to pop anyone's balloon, but I've got a hammer in the security threads. Remember, when you connect an app to your phone, you're giving away some of your personal data. Then again, maybe that coolness is worth it to you for giving away a little bit of information. It does sound magical. Now, some apps let you limit your data sharing. You just have to go into the app settings. But the bottom line is make sure that you don't get swept away by some cool new feature or gadget. Read the fine print and see what you're signing off on. Speaking of data mining, I want to ask you about driver profiles. Big tech companies like Google and Apple and Amazon, they have detailed consumer profiles on every one of us. They follow us from site to site. They nestle cookies in our browsers and they target us with personalized ads. I'm sure their car companies are doing something similar, right, Chelsea? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And the data is definitely collected about the car. This could be linked to the particular driver, but it isn't necessarily so. This would be for car health maintenance, making predictions about 
repair and maintenance of the vehicle. Uh, and as well, if you're using a third-party service with the car, that could be building a profile about you, but that isn't necessarily under the control of the automaker. So again, keep in mind the spectrum and the ecosystem of what's going on. It's not just the manufacturer creating a profile on us. It's also insurance companies and other groups. And we know, as in other circumstances, that customization and personalization are really important value adds for many companies. And cars are really no exception. How about a few examples? So we're starting to see it be more and more common that cars are allowing drivers to create profiles about them. So they can save settings like the music that they want, whether they want the heated seats on, the temperature control, the seat position. So all these customizations you choose creates a profile. Uh, These profiles can be linked to either the keys that you're using. Uh, Some cars allow drivers to set up biometric identifiers so you can pop in and get it to scan your face so it recognizes you or use a fingerprint or a code. We're talking about biometrics, and if it's new to you, here's a quick lesson. Biometrics is a fancy term for using your body to identify yourself and get access to a device. If you use Touch ID to turn on your phone, you get the gist. Your phone uses your unique fingerprint to give you access. Super advanced cars can work in a similar fashion. Um, So for this, typically these types of profiles, the driver is aware of it and has consented to that use. That consent is so important. You probably look at the privacy settings on your new phone. You should do the same on your new car too. Otherwise, you might be giving up some of your data and not even knowing it. There's also ways for drivers to set up cloud-based driver profiles, which is the same thing, except that this service can go from car to car as you do. Using the cloud lets you save your personal vehicle settings. That means even if you drive abroad and you rent a car, you can enjoy the same experience you have in your car back home. Well, as long as you're using the same make and model. With the press of a button, you can transfer your preferred settings into the new car. Well, what does this mean? Well, you can set your date and time zone. You can pick a language for your user interface. You can even get this new car to respond to your voice. And if you want to set your preferred temperature, not a problem. With a cloud-based account, everything's possible. Depending on which make and model you use, your driver profile will also show your favorite stations, your recent destinations, and even upcoming events and appointments on your calendar. As you can imagine, that's information that will make big bucks. Another use case is insurance. So either through traditional insurance companies that offer pay-as-you-drive services, some automakers are also offering their own insurance that you can use in their cars. And they're offering it to be used in other cars as well. So these type of driver profiles would, again, typically be done through notice and consent of the driver. Now, there are always exceptions. What if police officers want to mine your data? Is there anything you can do about that? And what happens if a criminal hacks into your car? Your car could even put you at risk of intimate partner violence. It's frightening to think about, but this is a serious concern. Coming up, criminal cases, federal laws, and the surprising way your car tracks you. We have some fascinating stuff coming your way. So don't unbuckle that seatbelt yet on this podcast. You're going to want to stick around for this. I'm Kim Commando, and this is Tech You Should Know. We're talking about self-driving cars and privacy and technology. The digital frontier is an incredible place, but it's kind of like the jungle at times, full of these strange forms of life that buzz and hum and just fly around. You prowl through the bushes and you'll spot amazing resources. 
That's especially true when you look at cars. Onboard computers store data that can reconstruct a crime. Detectives can learn if a driver made a phone call or if they were plugged into their infotainment system. Basically, your car is a treasure trove for law enforcement. WikiLeaks revealed documents that suggest the CIA is interested in remotely taking over cars. I'm not sure if it's true, but it begs the question, is your car vulnerable to criminals, cyber criminals? The answer, absolutely yes. Two hackers went on Today News to show how easy it is to break into a car. Here, listen to this. As this SUV drives down the highway, these two hackers are pulling off the unthinkable. No matter what happens, don't panic. Taking control of it wirelessly, even turning the wheel. Other hackers opening car doors with ease using this little gadget. Now, WikiLeaks claims the government was working on hacking cars too. The CIA was looking at infecting the vehicle control system used by modern cars and trucks. The purpose of such control is not specified. The new leaked documents quoting a meeting of the CIA's embedded devices branch. Potential mission areas include vehicle systems. But hackers have already done it. Wired Magazine first exposing the danger in 2015. That video was frightening. Remote hackers completely took over the car. They manipulated speed. They blasted the radio and they turned up the volume. They even activated windshield wipers so the driver couldn't see. This news demonstration really hammers home how weak our cars are. Think about it this way. Smartphones have tons of security built in. You can download a VPN or hide your data through a private mobile hotspot. Now, compared to your phone, your car has a really weak security system. But of course, smartphones and cars are completely different. Not only is their technology unique, but they also collect completely separate types of data. And even though it's not entirely accurate to compare the two, it helps to give you a point of reference, doesn't it? It's a really useful comparison because, it, it, you know, it's what we know. Smartphones are just such uh, integral pieces of technology in our lives. We use both our phones and our cars every single day, but somehow phones have a lot more layers of protection than our cars do. Remember what Chelsea was saying earlier about biometric identifiers? Well, some cars use those security tools. Most vehicles don't offer these features. I mean, do you unlock your car with a passcode or a fingerprint? Maybe, but I'm willing to bet probably not. It all goes back to the type of car that you choose. You make a trade-off when you drop money on a car that can connect to the internet. With all these awesome features comes, well, vulnerability. Sure, manufacturers always say driver safety is their top concern, but we're still seeing hackers break into cars. Chelsea, I want to shift gears just a little bit, and I want to talk to you about the trade-off. When you sign up for an advanced car that offers all of these fantastic features, like heated seats and connections to the cloud, how much privacy are we really giving up? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. So it really depends on, I guess, what you mean by giving away your privacy. It really is about that trade-off, and that's how I see it as well. Is what are the benefits that I'm getting from this service? You totally have to assess the value to decide if it's worth the risk to you. And that applies to everything, whether it's a social media account, banking, using online streaming services, and you set up an account. It's all about these interactions and transactions where I'm giving some of my personal information away, but in return, I'm getting a service. Yes, exactly. And that is a, a really great thing. We should enable that to happen. I think where there could be issues is if the company isn't really abiding by their privacy notice, isn't being transparent to the consumers, and the consumers don't know 
where else that data is being used. If it's if I'm consenting to give my my face print, my fingerprint to use a service, and I expect it just to be used for that service, it might betray my trust if that information is then being sold and used for other purposes. Now, transparency is critical. You mentioned face prints and fingerprints. Now, there are a lot of different ways facial ID and travel intersect. Are you planning to travel at all over the next year? Imagine if you didn't have to scan your boarding pass to get on a flight. Instead, you just smiled. That's right, it scanned your face. You don't have to imagine that. It's really reality in so many American airports. As a matter of fact, I had my face scanned the last time I went to London. It's a way for U.S. Customs and Border Protection to keep track of international travelers. Right now, you can opt out of scanning your face at the airport. And it might change, because the agency recently filed to expand its use of facial recognition technology to all airports across the country. And imagine if this request gets approved. You'd have to scan your face whenever you exit or enter the country. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection would keep your face print for a long time. If you're a citizen, they keep this digital map of your face for about 15 years. If you're an undocumented resident, they'll keep it for 75 years pretty wild. And here's where the privacy concerns come in. If the CBP collected face prints from every port in the country, that would make it a constant surveillance system and it would make it even easier. Plus, they might even share your face with foreign governments. So let me make it clear. A face print is a lot more than just a simple picture of your face. It's a detailed map. It knows every plane, every curve from your nose to your cheeks to your chin. It's a mathematical representation of your appearance. It even adapts to changes in your appearance. If you wear makeup or you grow facial hair, it can still recognize you. But on the bright side, if you do use it on your car, it can be incredibly convenient. Check out this clip from one man who hacked his Tesla to add a face ID feature. All right, so I'm here. I don't have my key fob on me, my key card, the phone, none of that stuff. The car is locked, as you can see. And as I walk up to it and point my face at it, face ID for your Tesla. So Chelsea, here's the takeaway as I understand it. All these features in a car are amazing, but the company needs to make sure that it's not just giving away, say, your face print or other private information. Or if it does, it at least needs to tell us because that's the only way for a driver to feel safe. Like, can they really trust their car's manufacturer with their data? Yeah, so in terms of thinking about if I sign up for the service, am I giving away my privacy? It depends on, I guess, what you consider giving away your privacy. I think this transactional nature of I'm signing up for a service and I'm agreeing to give you personal information, A, B, C, D, but in return, these are the benefits that I get. And that is a great thing. And I think where issues could arise is if that information is being used for secondary purposes that the consumer doesn't know about and hasn't consented to. Once again, it's the cost, right? Give away your information for the cost of the service. So it would be really important for consumers to take it upon themselves to want to educate themselves and and want to be in control of, of their data, but also for industry, for companies to be transparent about how they're using the data and really abiding by the promises and commitments that they're making. And while you're doing that research, you might want to look up some laws too. There was so much for me to cover in this podcast, so we're actually going to do a part two. We're going to dive into the world of legality. What regulations protect your car's data? And as cars grow more and more advanced by the day, 
How will we stay safe in the future? What about the laws? Will they ever catch up? It's a really complex issue. So that's why we had to split into two episodes. So in part two of this Tech You Should Know podcast, we're going to talk about how to protect your data, why data mining is legal, and why your information is so incredibly valuable. We're also going to cover some criminal cases. For example, cars can play a big role in intimate partner violence. And what can people do to defend themselves? We're also going to talk about the surprising way manufacturers are holding each other accountable. So there's a lot that we need to cover in this next installment of this podcast. But before we go, I wanted to leave you with some numbers. I always feel like looking at stats helps me get a better idea of an issue scope. Now, according to Statista.com, there are over 1 billion cars in use around the world. Okay, 1 billion. In 2019, people purchased around 28 million connected cars. It's a big deal. Even if your car isn't cutting edge, I'm willing to bet it has a ton of data that could earn some good money for a dedicated hacker. Luckily, in part two of this podcast, I'm going to give you all kinds of tips, especially if you're thinking about selling your car. I'm going to give you five ways to clear out your personal information from your car before you sell it. And you can even find more tricks over on our website at commando.com. And if you ever have a specific question, I'd love to have you on my show. Or you could join the Commando community. For the price of a grande Starbucks white mocha, you get unlimited access to my forums, my show, and all the other podcasts. It's a whole host of incredible information. And here's the deal. There are no ads and there is no tracking going on over inside the Commando community. You can check it out for 30 days free. Sign up now while you're thinking about it. Stop ghosting me. All right, just go. Go to getkim.com and sign up. And thanks to my producer, Mike James, for all his amazing work. And thanks to Chelsea Colbert for taking the time to speak with us. And always thank you to Serena O'Sullivan for her work behind the scenes. I'm Kim Commando. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do me a huge favor, okay? Give us a great five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to subscribe to our podcast. So this way you get them automatically delivered even when you're sleeping.